I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's French Open quarterfinal catch-up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Rude rallies past Runa. Sabalenka steamrolls into the semis. And we get Alcaraz Djokovic at a slam. Chris, today is the 8th of June and we are here to catch up on all the quarterfinal action from the French Open here at Tennis Weekly HQ. Um, It's just me and you today. Joel is otherwise occupied. um, And actually, we're recording later. So it feels a bit like a night session for Tennis Weekly HQ. Um, I've just come in from a a quiz night. and I How did you do? Well, I have to say I was successful. I'm the proud owner of a signed uh, Ottolenghi cookbook, which is exciting. Wonderful recipes in there. I'm very much identifying with all of the winners of the quarterfinal matches at you the French Open. You are a Tennis Weekly winner. <laughs> you may not have won collector set, Kim, but you have won the pub quiz. I've won in some capacity. So the winning feeling is strong here at Tennis Weekly HQ. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to catch up with you, Chris, because you're back from Paris now. Yes. I very much enjoyed hearing about your antics out on it's the clay. It's been a while, Kim, hasn't it? It has. How have you been finding life back in, in Denmark now you've returned from your exploits? Thankfully, the weather's still warm here, which is wonderful. But I meant to say, I did send a picture, obviously, on the group of myself uh, holding or waving um, the Spanish flag. And I was going to kind of, because I know that you've got a, a history of turning up at matches with props, Spanish props. And I thought, surely I need to try and do something here to kind of bring that Tennis Weekly mantle to the Carlos Alcaraz match, because that's as close to an Adal match in my head, logically, we could get. And um, they actually confiscated the stick my flag was on. They ripped it off in front of me because it was a dangerous weapon. So that is why people just have the flags they wave, not the sticks, because... They are confiscated, which was um, a bit soul-destroying, watching the flag you just bought for four euros being ripped apart. But still waved it, so thought I'd give you that update. It was... It was the thought that counts. Um, I saw your nice, yeah, I think you sent me a nice photo of the flag against, I'm guessing that it was the River Seine. Yes, that was, um, I was waving at all Paris. around Paris, Kim, just getting ready so for the match. <laughs> Representing uh, Team Rafa, despite the fact that he's not there, but I guess Team Alcaraz, maybe. I did visit uh, the statue. The next best thing. You did visit the statue. Thank you. You've uh, it is right paid homage when you enter. It's almost it's almost everyone must see that. Um, maybe even the players walk past and see this wonderful metal statue of Rafa and um, very popular, almost more popular than some of the outside courts. Getting a picture there, Ooh, so well, his presence is still felt and missed. Yes, yeah, it has been a. a- a weird French Open without uh, Rafa, as I'm sure many Nadal fans will attest to. But we do have a semi-final lineup on, you know, the men's and the women's side. And let's get on to the men's action first of all. We've had the quarterfinals all finished, um, 
And we do have that that long anticipated match finally at a Grand Slam between Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. They've been trading the world number one slot for the last year, it seems, but they're finally going to meet at a Grand Slam. And they both made it there in slightly different fashion. Djokovic coming through in four sets over Karen Hatchinov, Carlos Alcaraz coming through very comfortably over Stefanos Tsitsipas. Those matches were yesterday. They will be joined in the semi-finals by Sasha Zverev and Kasper Ruud. Um, but I guess let's get into, yeah, the Alcaraz and Djokovic sort of matches from, from the other day. Uh, let's start with Djokovic, who, I mean, he's my pick for the title. I think he's still going to win. You know, you can't deny the experience of 22 slams, in my opinion, regardless of Alcaraz's youth and potential. But here we go. We have Djokovic, you know, in his quarterfinal against Hatchinov, dropping his first set of the tournament and for the first two sets, probably not being the better player. So, Chris, what did you make of Djokovic's performance overall? You know, he came through in four sets in the end, but do you think he was at some point in that match at, at risk? Or do you think, you know, it was just kind of par for the course that over the distance he was he was bound to come through? Yeah, it was a funny one because I think probably despite winning the first set and making well as you say playing the better tennis in the second set I don't think anyone really thought that Kachanov was going to still win that match I mean even if he won that second set I still would have put money on Djokovic to win the match Um, and we've seen him do it time and time again when he might have lost a set he does come back he does bounce back and play much better tennis but um, that tie break was really really edgy from um, Kachanov and I think it's one of those test which you, you face in majors where he is doing really well at get, getting to the later rounds but someone like Djokovic can really switch up the gears and, and he did after that um, after that tie break yeah I mean the experience just showing at that tie break he was seven and and zero, zero like yeah. it was just really raising his game when it mattered the most and then I think you know when it got to sets th- three and four it was sort of very standard Djokovic um, and I, I personally still think you know if he's fully fit he is still the favourite and I'm really you know eagerly anticipating this long-awaited match at a Grand Slam between him and Alcaraz but I just think given what we've seen from Djokovic he's had a very comfortable path through the tournament and maybe he hasn't been tested enough maybe this sort of little mini test from Hatchinov will, will actually help him you know before the, the Alcaraz match but I, I don't know. I, I still think he is the one to watch. I mean, he is attempting to reach his seventh final from his last eight Grand Slam outings. So that is some, you know, his 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 feats kind of speak for themselves, really. Um, I know Alcaraz obviously had that easy match against Sitsipas. It went to a tie break in the third set, but the first two sets were just an absolute, you know... Um, Annihilation, you know, Demolition. Really. Yeah. <laughs> So do you think, given what we saw from Alcaraz against Itzbass, that Djokovic has to, you know, how worried should Djokovic be based on how well he's playing versus how well Alcaraz is playing? I think it's a case where we don't often get to see kind of um, these well, these players ever really play against each other. And it's very weird that on the men's tour, a lot of these players haven't been drawn against each other for various scheduling reasons because of the nature of absences um, because of certain rules and restrictions. So I think it's great to have this matchup either way. And I think in terms of what I'm hoping for from a result or what I'm kind of expecting, I'm really on the fence with this one. And I'm hoping for a five-set match and that it does live up to the hype because there is so much hype. But in terms of the level, 
I do think that Carlos, and I've, I've made some awful predictions, Kim. I, I said Massetti was going to take out Carlos and that was also <laughs> a demolition job. So I, it would be an upset, but not an upset on paper in terms of the, the seedings. But I do think that Carlos has played the better session. And in that Sitsipas match, I mean, he was 6-2, 6-1 and 5-2 up, I think, in the third um, before kind of Sitsipas did sort of awaken um, and start to play some better tennis and, and get that to a tie break. But that was a bit scary at times from a, a level perspective, from a movement perspective and um, from a serving perspective. And against the world number five, that is the toughest quarterfinal that you can get as a seed. Um, and he really did make uh, sets of pass look pretty ordinary, which um, I don't think any of us were really expecting. Yeah, the gulf between Alcaraz and, and Sitsipas in those first two sets was just so wide. And yeah, it was almost a bit embarrassing, really, for Sitsipas, you know, being the, the number five seed. Like you said, being the closest, really, on paper matchup that you're going to get in, in the quarterfinal stage. Um, you know, he was down 5-2 and double match point in that third set. Managed to claw it back to a tie break, which was, you know, impressive um, that he sort of made a bit of a run in that that third set but it was just one-way traffic for the vast majority of the match and you know Sitsipas is a former former finalist at this tournament knows his way around a clay court it's one of you know typically the tour's best clay quarters and he was just completely outplayed um you know he's sort of since come out and said that he needs to cut out naps and melatonin um implying that he was just basically asleep on the court for those first two sets which isn't is not great you know you need to to plan your schedule around your sleep and and make sure you're sort of able to be energized from the word go really but um you know perhaps that's that's a routine issue you know he's had a few sort of late nights and um late night sessions and things but it's kind of something you've got to deal with on the, on the tour, at, at, you know, on these days, and unfortunately. But it was just one-way traffic. And I do wonder if, if Carlos Alcaraz can perform like that. You know, Djokovic is someone who, you know, is obviously going to be an absolute step up from Sitzpass. But I think we're on for an absolute cracker come Friday. And I, I mean, I hope we get that because everyone, you know, tennis fans and neutrals aside, we're all kind of looking to that match thinking this is what we need to set the tournament alight. I think we do need that for the tournament. I think a few people at this sort of stage, though there have been some really great matchups earlier on, we've had a bit of a lull at some of the, the mid-period of the tournament where there's been quite a lot of straight sets matches and matches that had top billing that didn't necessarily um, prove to be as kind of hotly contested. I mean, we've seen that with... Um, there was a lot of hype around the repeat of the final for Eager and Coco, we'll talk about later, which didn't really live up to it as well. Um, so I do think we need a five-set match where people are playing well throughout, which hasn't really happened. But on the Sitsipas comments on kind of the, the fact he was almost asleep on court, you have to think that this is as big as it gets really in tennis, a quarterfinal at a slam. And there's not really an excuse that you were asleep or that you didn't really think that... Um, you were able to be awake because you took a nap or it just seems very, very odd. And I think that he's making excuses there because um, I don't think that you should be asleep five minutes before you turn up on court. I'm not sure that's the norm. Um, and the match starts at 8.15. So I don't know, Kim, are you taking naps during the day? Is it affecting your performance? I am not a napper Me personally. Either. I I can't nap. It's just I, I my body won't allow me. I'm, I like to be on with my day doing things. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, sleep at night. Or maybe he's um, one of those people who 
you know, when you wake up from a nap and then you're just a bit confused and grumpy, maybe that was the attitude he brought to Philip Chatrier, which is hardly bringing your best to the table. But um, I do think that I disagree with Sitsipas, who said that Alcaraz was good, not exceptional. I think he was pretty exceptional um, on the day. So it was it was very impressive in my mind. Yeah, he was getting absolutely everything back. And, and you know, Sitspass is very consistent in Grand Slams. I think, you know, getting to the quarters and losing to Alcaraz is not a, you know, embarrassment by any means. Perhaps the nature of the defeat was. Um, but, I think you know, his backhand, I think, needs, you know, needs a lot of Im- improvement if he wants to sort of break through again against the top players. And I, I, I feel, sort of feel like the word breakthrough is, is a bit odd when he's been in Grand Slam finals already. But, you know, this is the reality. He's, he's sort of got taken over by the likes of Alcaraz now in terms of likelihood of winning slams. Um, and a bit like Hatchinov, I guess, you know, that he's Sitspass is a very consistent player. You know, him and Hatchinov tend to get to the latter stages. Hatchinov actually has made the quarterfinals in, in the at least, what, the least of quarterfinals in the last three slams. He's actually the only player to have made it past round four in, in all of them, um, which is, you know, saying something. But yeah, what's, what's your opinion on the Sitspass backhand in particular? Um, what does he need to do to sort of get rid of this as, a, as an issue um, and allow him to potentially go further? I think it's a really strange one because the grip he's on the return of serve makes it very hard to be aggressive off the return. He almost commits a bit too much to the slice or to kind of pushing it back into the court. And I also think if you give it a bit of height, it does make it quite uncomfortable for him. Um, and I think we've seen that his, his head-to-head against top 10 has not been great this year at all. Um, and the top players are able to really pick on the backhand and, and really do some damage. And if he's not finding his rhythm, um, then he's in a lot of trouble. Like I saw him play earlier in the week. He was he was serving very well on the day, which I think was was great. It didn't look like he was serving that well. So I'd say for him, it's the the backhand but also the serve that isn't necessarily proving to be as effective as it should be um he only made 59% of first serves and only won 61% of his first serve and 47% of his second serve so I think it's a combination where if he doesn't have um or doesn't improve the backhand and if he isn't on song for the serve then you can see why someone like Alcaraz would be able to make his life very difficult from a returning perspective but also um, from the perspective of, of him serving himself and not being able to get the points done and get the second ball that he third ball, the third shot that he really wants. Yeah, and I mean, let's look at um, I you know I completely agree with what you were saying about about Sitsipas's backhand there. Um, I, I really do, but let's you know he is unfortunately out. Uh, sorry, any you know Greek or Sitsipas fans. We do have that semi final between Djokovic and Alcaraz lined up in the final four. If Novak wins, he can actually replace Carlos Alcaraz as the current world number one. Um, if he wins the title here, which would also be obviously a record 23rd major. Um, we do have, you know, the last time they played, it was Alcaraz winning in the semi-final in Madrid in 2022. That match, you know, was quite close. It was, um, you know, 6-7, 7-5, to Alcaraz. So if that's anything to go by, it's going to be a tough, tight encounter. Um, it's the first time that they will have played in a semi-final and well it's only Alcaraz's second semi-final at a slam ever the first you know he won and went on to win the US Open I mean who are you going with Chris um who who who's your money on 
if you were if you were a betting man if i was a betting man well i'm gonna go with our listeners on this because we did ask the question on twitter who who they thought was going to come through this one and with a whopping 69 percent, it was alcaraz um and so i just don't think there could be a better temperature check than asking our listeners there and um I'm going to say that. And as I say that now, I'm thinking I'm betting against Novak Djokovic, which is something that I don't think you ever should do. Um, But for the sake of interest, Kim, I know you've backed Djokovic for this in the predictions. I'm going to say Alcaraz so that I've bet against him once before. I'm not doing it again. (laughs) Yeah, bet against Novak Djokovic at your peril. I know. Um, I mean, I'm personally, you know, I really hope... Well, I hope Alcaraz wins yes. because I think it'll be really exciting. You know, it's very much youth versus experience. I'd love Alcaraz to make that breakthrough. But I, I mean, you know, I'm also being realistic. It's very hard to break down a 22 major champion in the latter stages of a slam. Djokovic is a very wily, seasoned, experienced opponent. Very mentally strong. So it's going to be... Perhaps Alcaraz's toughest ask of his career. You know, he has won the US Open, but you know, that was in the final against Casper Ruud, he didn't have to to beat one of the big three en route to winning that mm. slam. So I think this is a tougher test Way tougher. than even winning that Grand Slam final. So um, I don't know how much we can read into the head-to-head. It's going to be a really fascinating encounter come Friday. Hopefully it will live up to the hype because it's what we've all been sort of earmarking since that draw was done. Um, but we do have another semi-final also lined up, which is Sasha Zverev against Kasper Ruud. Um, just a note on Sasha Zverev, you know, he's back at this stage of, of a Grand Slam f- for the first time since he had to very emotionally depart from the semi-final here a year ago in a wheelchair when he slipped over and, and injured his ankle against Rafa in that semi-final that he was doing so, so well in. Um, he won in four sets against Thomas Echeverri of Argentina. So Zverev, you know, putting some form together here to, to come back to this stage of a Grand Slam. Very emotional in his win today. Um, how did you think, you know, generally he, he played and, and how do you think he has been playing? Do you think he can make it all the way into... Um, what his second Grand Slam final yeah I mean before the tournament did I think that Zverev would make it back to the semi-finals in Paris I I really didn't I didn't think he had the form he was kind of losing a lot of those close matches especially kind of against Medvedev and he was losing to players that you wouldn't expect him to lose to so um, for me this is quite a big surprise and I think it's it's one that I don't think he's obviously surprised he's been here before but he didn't play for seven months um and then when he did start playing there was still um start training again there still was some pain um so he really 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 hurt himself and I think when you have that sort of a setback it it is so difficult to kind of regain your form we've seen that with sort of um a Dominic team um but I mean getting wheeled off in a wheelchair after really pushing Nadal in that semi-final I think that was um I, I, I remember thinking at the time that's going to be so hard to mentally deal with just how unlucky you've been. And it seems like he's channeled that to put something really brilliant together here because he's he's had a tough draw. I mean, um, compared to if you look at um, who Casper's had to play, I mean, Malkin is someone he made look very average in the second round. He only lost, uh, I think it was seven games. And then TFO is obviously a higher ranked player than himself at the moment. And then Dimitrov, he, I mean, he made, made that very... Um, very easy uh, with a, just a, I think that was eight games. So he's, he's really playing well and Echeverry's had great form. So I think he's got 
a real shot at getting to the final. I do think, though, whoever makes the final from the top half is going to pick up the trophy. Um, but I would not be I would not be against sign of a, a Zverev redemption arc here because he was so unlucky last year. And I think um, it's great to see him in the semi-finals and finally getting some form again because it's never nice watching someone who you know can play a lot better and not be able to bring that game. Yeah, I think it's almost um, yeah the story in, in, it has been made and it's it's sort of fitting based on that awful departure he had last year, and you know I agree in the sense that I think whoever wins out of Alcaraz Djokovic is likely to win the title, but you never know what's going to happen in a tennis match, so you've got to make sure you're in that position um, and be you've there got to, win the to match. compete yes. in front of you. So nothing's a given. Um, and, you know, you, we know what happened with Zverev last year. It was sort of a bit of a freak thing where he sort of fell over and injured his ankle. So you just never know what's going to happen in a match. Um, and I, I think that he probably is the favourite over Kasper Ruud in the semi-final. Mm, I think there's like momentum more behind Zverev. Kasper Ruud obviously has been to the final at Roland Garros before. He came, uh, you know, up against Holger Rune and won in four sets tonight. Um, Holgerino kind of fighting back to get that third set but Gaspar Rude holding him off and, and getting the job done and avoiding a fifth set but and I know it's it's really nice that Gaspar Rude's been able to find form here you know he's had a very difficult start to the season but managed to kind of get back into a bit of his groove here especially against Holgerino he's had a great clay court season but I'm just I'm, I feel like Gaspar Rude isn't quite doing it for me you know Holger Runa today didn't really turn up he was out of sorts for the first two sets I thought didn't play great so I feel like a part of this victory for Rude was kind of Runa not at the races I, I don't know what you guys what you thought Chris because obviously you're you're you know I know you're a bit of a Holger Runa um fanatic oh you're waving a Danish flag at me and you're wearing a Danish football shirt I am um, I'm, I'm a so... bit gutted Kim I really made the effort today <laughs> oh, I had some I'm people so around was waving my flag I'm fully dressed up oh. for this and um but I do think in fairness to Casper those first two sets uh he, he played fine but he did play really mm. well um, in the final set, I think. And Holger did really raise his game in, in that third set. But it was one of the weirdest contests I've seen because no one would have thought that a competitor like Holger Runa wouldn't have turned up at all um, for that first set. It was almost just, I mean, it was almost, we thought it would be done in an hour, an hour and 15, that whole match. So um, I do think he did play a pretty pretty high level. I really like the fact that he was coming into the net quite a lot and he was varying his play, some great drop shots, great shape on his forehand. And it was one of those performances from Casper where you just wonder why he's had so many terrible losses this year because it all looks like it won't go off the rails. And then I think it is just in those key moments sometimes where he's at break point or he's serving for a match or he's in a, a major final. I mean, um, and this is probably why I do agree with you that I think that uh, Sasha probably is the favourite in this sense because that was probably one of the most one-sided finals we've ever seen um, last year. And I think that's something which does show that, you know, in the same thing against Alcaraz, that there's been a couple of those big opportunities that he hasn't been able to necessarily bring his best game. Um, and obviously it was much closer in the US Open, but... I do sort of question marks about those key moments because he did sort of let Holger back into this match. Um, he was 6-1, 6-2, and then 
uh, looking like he might be pushing ahead in that third set as well. So he's not necessarily the best closer. And I think that someone who's as seasoned as Zverev and really hungry for it might be the the person I, I think might come through that one. Yeah, I just kind of feel that, you know, Rude is... He, obviously, he is hungry. He wants to win, win a Grand Slam. But there's just that sort of extra... Um, je ne sais quoi <laughs> lacking mm. for me when I watch Casper but obviously he is a fabulous player and got the job done is very professional all the time and um, you know generally very consistent obviously aside from from the tour generally um, this year so far he's sort of got back to, to winning ways at Roland Garros um, on the clay I mean it is a bit of a shame that Holgerun couldn't go further Um given that his you know his good performances on the clay generally this this season um he'll be looking towards the grass obviously and we'll have to look at how he sort of progresses onto the grass but i think overall he's i think he has had a great great clay season so you know all is not lost chris you can still wear your danish football shirt i'm sure um and cheer Holger Rune on at Wimbledon uh, will it be allowed I'm Wimbledon. sure this will violate the dress code there's a lot of red on it oh, there's too much red I'm sorry you're going to have to you know support in other I ways can but... a, I can't wave a flag I have to take the the fabric take the off. Stick off take the stick off yes yeah. <laughs> um, as I said you know, my, well, one of my friends she tried to get the Spanish flag out, flag into Wimbledon wasn't allowed so she made a flag dress so maybe you could make oh, a Danish flag outfit Chris that's a great idea look forward to seeing that and then I'll find Wimbledon. out that um, Holger's dawn against a Brit and I'll have to scrap it completely <laughs> where will your loyalties lie I know um, <laughs> so I mean yeah who are you saying against was Zverev against Kasper Ruud who, who's your money on for that one I again it's a it's, these are both very tricky to call and I'm not normally someone who is on the fence but if I think there's I'm gonna go ooh Sasha just because yeah I just think that he has something a bit more about him this year in terms of what I've seen from his tennis I think he's playing better tennis and this was Casper's first seed he's faced and he didn't have to really play tennis in the first two sets I would say so he had a, a real set where he had to kind of prove his worth but for me I think Sasha's proved his worth versus multiple matches this tournament what about you yeah I agree I mean I think if it, going into the final I think Zverev is, is more likely to create more of a challenge for the opponent come the final um and I think that that would be a better final. I, I feel like I'm being very critical of Casper of Ruud here, but given, yeah, I mean, you could say that Sasha Zverev hasn't had a super high caliber of opponent. He did have to beat, you know, Francis Tiafo, So that was obviously a, a sort of fairly tricky encounter. But, um, you know, Echeverry is, a, is obviously a seasoned clay quarter as well, um, albeit out unseeded. But I think Zverev would be, yeah, would probably give us a better, more competitive final. But, that's all, you know, all very well me saying that. I look forward to both matches. I think they're going to be intriguing for their own reasons come Friday. Um, so I think it's it's an intriguing lineup that we, we have here. Um, and for many people, you know, who are used to supporting like, I don't know, Rafa in this tournament, I think, for, you know, from a neutral perspective, it's also, yeah, also quite an interesting matchup that we've got. Um, so I hope the, the crowd get behind it and we get, you know, a nice... Well, a nice respectful crowd, but also some very high level competitive tennis come the men's semis on Friday. Um, 
We'll be taking a look at the women's semis after a very quick break. But so join us in the second half um, to reflect back on all the women's quarterfinal action. And we'll also give, I think, a very quick update on Collect a Set as well as we head into the latter stages of the French Open. So do not go anywhere. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And we're going to move on to the women's quarterfinal action. Uh, we have now got our semifinal lineup uh, as a result of the women's quarterfinals. We have had a number of uh, matches over the last two days. Uh, we've got a semifinal between Igor Sviontek and Beatrice Haddad Meyer lined up as well as one between Karolina Mukova and Arena Sabalenka. So essentially, the top two seeds are still in the women's draw. And we're very much on course for another Sviontek-Sabalenka matchup. Uh, let's take a look at those quarterfinals uh, in turn, though. Uh, the first of which, let's have a look at Karolina Mukova against um, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. This was actually straight sets in the end. In fact, all of the quarterfinals were straight sets except for one of them. Um Karolina Mukova making only her second major semi-final of her career, defeating a former finalist here at the French Open. And um, can I just say, I had Sakari in my semi-final, but Mukova beat Sakari in the first round and she's gone all the way to the semi. So I kind of feel somewhat vindicated, Chris. Yes, yes. I don't know if you agree with me on that one. <laughs> I, I, can, I can sort of see that there. But I do remember, I do... Prior to joining the podcast, I'd love to listen to your predictions at the start of the year as to who was going to win different tournaments of the, of the slams. And you actually did say a couple of years ago that Mukova would win the French. Oh my gosh. I remember that. I knew, I knew I'd predicted big for her once upon a time. You really I did. And didn't I, know it was a French. And I just thought, why wouldn't you predict it on the grass? I thought, surely, <laughs> oh. surely she made a mistake there. But who knows? <laughs> did Kim predict this years ago prior to her being sidelined by injury? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the second time that she'd beaten Sakari very early in the French and very similar score lines. And it seems that she's just kind of built on that since then. And there are some real parallels with the Zverev story here because she not only was also kind of um, wheeled off, caught in a wheelchair last year, um, but she also has had been sidelined for six months um, prior to that. And it's a really tricky, tricky time for her from an injury perspective because anyone who's a fan of the WTA tour will know that she is 
the queen of the highlight reel. Um, some of the shots she hits are fan- absolutely fantastic and her tennis is so all court. Um, it's really, really entertaining to watch. And I think um, in this one, she just had a bit too much variety for Pavlyuchenkova, who was obviously also coming back from injury. Um, but still a fantastic effort from Pavlyuchenkova to make it to this stage. Um, but it is fantastic to have um, Mukova in the semifinals because... She is someone who will kind of break up some of the patterns of pay, play because we did see uh, in some previous matches with Sabalenka that it is just kind of slogging it out from the baseline. Um, and we'll talk about that with the Svitolina match. But I think this could provide what could make for a very interesting contest by giving her some very different balls, very different slices, top spins. Um, and I think that would be something that could potentially cause some problems for, for Sabalenka, a breakup break up the the pace but do you think that Mukova do you stand by your prediction is what I should ask him well, my my the prediction pro- a, a from three, three years ago yeah. <laughs> oh is this a new prophecy yeah new renaissance I mean yeah you could arguably say it is a renaissance for Mukova's career um I think it's interesting that there's a lot of parallels with with Sasha Zverev actually they both went off court in a wheelchair because of an ankle injury that they got here um, a year ago. I think, well, imagine if they both ended up winning the tournament. What what sort of, I don't know, justice would, would that be um, a year on in a way? Um, you know, Mukova herself, she was down to world ranking of 235 last summer. So the fact that she's sort of back up to 40 odd in the world and, and you know, getting to this stage of, of a Grand Slam is, is fantastic. Um, she, you know, she definitely belongs at these sort of stages of Grand Slams. Her ranking will no doubt go up again and, you know, she'll sort of be able to get back into to sort of more tournaments and, and progress through. Um, but I think, yeah, so there's interesting storylines with, with her and, and Zverev especially. Um, her and Sabalenka, you know, Sabalenka, they, they have played, I think, once before. Sabalenka leads the head-to-head, but they played back, you know, in 2019. So quite a while ago, it was, it was a bit of a close one as well. So I think I think this one could go all the way, perhaps. It could be a very tight semi-final. Um, Mukova's variety may just be the thing that unsettles, you know, Sabalenka. Um, Mukova's only dropped one set all the way along to this stage. And I... I think that she has the sort of willpower to to overcome Sabalenka, who, you know, has, has been playing very well. And I can see her also getting to semis. But, you know, I'd be, I be I think it's hard to dislike Mukova and, and the journey that she is She's definitely um, someone who on. deserves, you know, to be in the top 10 because when mm. she is on, she does make it deep in majors and she can produce some fantastic results. So, um. I would love to see a really good contest there because, as you say, we have been denied some three-set epics on the women's side. And I do think that there... I don't want to say this, but I do think we might not be uh, having too many uh, three-sets in the semifinals. Mm, I mean, Mukova will be playing Arena Sabalenka. She came through in straight sets against Alina Svitolina, 6-4, 6-4. Unfortunately, this match has been overshadowed by what happened at the end of the match. So we're probably inevitably going to be talking about that instead of the actual tennis. Um, Our Twitter sort of 
uh, lit up with comments and, and feedback uh, as a result of, of what happened at the end of the match. Um, for those of you who maybe haven't sort of um, been following so closely, uh, Sabalenka essentially went to the net at the end of the match uh, to sort of, you know, wait at the net to, to shake hands with uh, Alina Svitolina. Alina Svitolina, being Ukrainian, obviously isn't shaking hands with players from Russia and Belarus, so was just going straight to the umpire. The French crowd kind of saw this, thought Svitolina was, I guess, snubbing Sabalenka, booed Svitolina. So a lot of unsavoury atmosphere at the end of the match. And then a lot of people saying, why on earth did Sabalenka go to the net? She must have known that Svitolina wasn't going to shake her hand. And by Sabalenka going to the net and sort of waiting there, she was kind of making a point of of it, kind of almost inciting the crowd to boo Svitolina. Um, and it's just been really sort of negative and, and a bit nasty, I think, um, you know, from the crowd. Like obviously, they've been booing people in this situation all tournament, it seems, for various reasons and standpoints. Um, so... Chris, I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? What What did you make of of how the end of the match happened? I know this is it's bad that we're not talking about the tennis, but this is kind of the main talking point that's come out since this match. Do you think Sabalenka was in the wrong to sort of wait at the net like she did? I think, given the fact that Sabalenka said in her previous press conferences uh, that she felt unsafe, and then she actually had a couple of closed press conferences, which invite only. Um, I do think that it was a very odd message to send. She said it was an instinct to go to the net. But as soon as she won, she went straight to the net and almost leaned over the net with both hands on the net. And I think, uh, and I'm with Svitolina when it comes to that she didn't know what she was waiting for. I mean, she knew the handshake wasn't coming. She's played Marta Kostchuk in the first round, I believe. Um, Svitolina's made it very clear and I'm sure that Sabalenka and press has been asked about these sorts of things multiple times um, and so I think for me it did send a message that she wanted Svitolina to have to be seen to refuse the handshake because obviously that is what Svitolina has decided to do so I see it from the perspective that she just didn't want to be booed um, she, and it's in, in that sense she's seen Kasakina booed who didn't approach the net um, and then she got booed because it looked like she wasn't shaking Svitolina's hand so it's almost the boo will be booed or avoiding the boos it seems like because it did seem a little bit sinister to me because it would be quite easy to do the thumbs up like like happened previously and would you rather for the press or the PR of it have Svitolina booed from Ukraine or just take a boo yourself and move on because you've obviously won the match as well it felt a bit unnecessary and it kind of has obviously um, made uh, Sabalenka's press conferences even more probably um, uh, antagonistic in terms of asking these questions. So it's done the opposite of what she was saying that she wanted. So for me, I think it's a difficult one, but I do think it was strange behaviour. Yeah, I mean, in Sabalenka's defence, she sort of said, oh, you know, I'm so used to just shaking hands at the end of a match, I I didn't think. Um, And maybe you would be a bit on autopilot, you know, but going to the net and waiting for your opponent to shake the hand is is an usual activity at the end of the match. So she said it was like very much an instinct. And and I can kind of get that. Maybe you, you don't always think, oh, I'm constantly you know you don't think I'm playing a Ukrainian that isn't sort of the first thing in your mind so perhaps it was a genuine mistake to give her the benefit of the doubt it did Um, seem odd though I did think in mm. terms of the speed she got to the net and the way she was leaning over the net and then the the smile Mm. to her camp after the booze I just felt it was all 
all not good and send a bit of the mm. wrong message because some people say it's about giving Svetlina the chance to refuse it or trying to see if there's a chance that you might have a handshake. But for me, it just felt like it was really trying to, to make the point that um, not only she won the match, but she also had the, the victory when it came to um, making someone refuse the hand refuse the handshake I think was the point yeah almost sort of trying to get the moral high ground yeah I think it was that that's a good way of phrasing it yeah I mean there is an argument to say like if you're prepared to step on a tennis court and play a match against someone you don't fundamentally like like or agree with politically you should be willing to undertake all the facets of that match and so be it you would handshake at the end of the match you know it's all very well you're playing a tennis match against this person but if you're not willing to shake their hand should you even be on the court I mean I mean there's an argument to say that if you know for Ukrainian players just get on with it and shake the hands it's a tennis match don't just you know we're not trying to bring politics into sport yet you're trying to by refusing to shake hands um so yeah, it's it's a very tricky one. And I, I mean, fundamentally, I don't think the French crowd should be booing yeah, agreed. for any of these situations, whether it's someone's intent or not to uh, make the crowd boo or to make a player look rude or something. The French crowd haven't, you know, put themselves in, in the best light by, by booing in all these situations. Um, and it means we're talking about this rather than the actual tennis, the which tennis, is, is a though, shame. I have to say was very high quality. Mm. I think both, yes, both yeah. um, women were fired up and I've not seen someone hit the ball that hard and that consistently in for some time. And I think that mm. Sabalenka was unbelievably impressive from a tennis perspective. And I, I genuinely think that Svitolina's comeback has been very, very impressive in terms of the way that she's playing. I think against almost anyone else, I, I would have probably backed her to get a win, even if she was playing against some of the other top players because she is being more aggressive, whereas Sabalenka just hit the cover off the ball and she couldn't get on the front foot at all. And she defended really, really well, did get a break up in the second, but a couple of points here and there um, kind of lost her the match. But I would say this match was um, for a two set, six four six four, highly entertaining and fantastic tennis. So... If we're talking tennis, Kim, it was great tennis. Yeah, um, just unfortunately overshadowed by the end of the match. But, you know, it's re- it is has been really pleasing to see Svitolina back at this stage of a Grand Slam. Um, and, you know, so quickly after coming back onto the tour. So we look forward to seeing what she can do at the Slams, you know, going forwards. Um, and, I mean, let's look at the other semi-final now lineup that we've got. Because we've got Beatrix Haddad Meyer against the top seed, Iga Svantec. Haddad Meyer winning in three sets uh, today over Ons Yabor. She is now the first Brazilian woman into the semi-finals here since 1966. Um, oh, no, sorry, 1968 even. I've, I've given her an extra two years there. Um, my bad. Um but yeah, this was a three-set match against Onjibor. Um Haddad Meyer had never been beyond the second, well, beyond the second round of a major, and now she's gone all the way into the second round uh, to the semi-finals. So very much earning, you know, her her place here with some, you know, long um, long matches. That one against Sara Saribas Tormo, some hard-fought wins, coming back from a set down against Onjibor, um today as well. What did you make of her performance? Um, this was, you know, she could very easily have gone on Jibor's way in, you know, when went to a second set tie break, could have been done in two sets for for Jibor, but it, it never went there and, and she never got the job done. Yeah, I think 
this is the the sort of on's performance that just makes you despair because all the talent in the world but she does let her body language and the way that she lets her head drop really affect her performance and um it's very understandable you know you don't always break serve you might miss a break point and when she was three six and a, and a break point for five six in the second um you do kind of feel like that could be a, a, a real chance for her to get that match and she could have got that done in two um but i think not getting that break then kind of led to the situation where in the tie break it was very cagey she was not making good shot choices and Haddad Meyer in that tie break was very very edgy as well so I think that tiebreak was the real decider there. And it did did remind me of the Wimbledon final where it was on um, Onz's racket, um, where she was up that first set. She started the second set, not badly. Um, and then she just mentally kind of drifted away the longer the match went on. And if it's a case of wanting it too much, but um, not be able to deal with the disappointment of not getting it done in two or um, your level dropping or not being happy with how you're playing, I think it really was a case where from a, from a, uh, a spectator perspective, it almost looked like she might need a medical timeout um, because it, everything changed about her demeanour. So very, very frustrating for Ons fans. But from um, a Haddad Maia perspective, I mean, never been past the second round of a slam. This is the result that she needed really to justify being ranked as high as 12 in the world at one point. So very, very impressive from her side, especially given the fact that she spent, I think it's 12 hours and 42 minutes on court. Um, which is the longest that anyone has spent um, in a single tournament this season, um, which is very, very impressive. And she's come back from deficits, uh, match point down against Alexandrova. She was 7-6, three love down and two points for the four love, as well as um, in a real sort of position of jeopardy against On. So uh, take nothing away from her performance because all those hours in the gym, all those hours on her fitness and all those hours of recovery from when she was injured have really led her to be one of the most physically fit people and hardest to put away because she has that mental resolve that probably no one else can rival on the tour. Yeah, she has great endurance on a tennis court. We know she's been down a lot, as you said, in many of her matches, but fought her way through. And it's almost, you know, she's playing a, a player who has done the polar opposite and barely spent any time on court at all in the semi-final is Iga Svionta. You know, she has been sort of floating her way through the draw, really, um, for the loss of barely any games. It seems quite reminiscent of the times previously when she's won her slams, where she hasn't dropped many games or sets at all. Um, the latest of which Iga Svionta beating Coco Goff 6-4, 6-2. You know, very comfortable, pretty much a repeat of the final last year. Coco Goff has never beaten Shriontek. She's 0-7 now. And I find it hard to see Haddad Meyer being able to topple Shriontek given just the time they've spent on court and the sort of nature of, of their sort of pathways through to this stage. I think Shriontek is obviously going in as the overwhelming favourite, but also just the physically and mentally the fresher of the two. And I think when once it gets to this stage of the tournament, that does, you know, I think count for quite a lot when you get to the the latter stages and the sort of real crunch crunch time. And I know Iga's had a few, you know, iffy moments like early on, but she's done what she's needed done and she's now looking really, really quite quite good, isn't she, Chris? Yeah, she really is. And I think um it's a case where the nature of playing at Roland Garros is so different to the last time they played at the Canadian Open for Haddad Meyer. 
um, and Iga because she did win that and did upset Iga at that tournament. But this is almost like on Iga's home court um, in the sense that she she's so well adjusted to life on a clay court, um, especially at Roland Garros. And she's had a, so much more experience at this level. So I do think it's very different getting kind of an early round win in the last 16 um, at, a, at a Masters versus a semi-final um, of a slam when you've never been past the second round. I mean, it's a big, big ask. And based on what I've seen of Iga, she made short work of Coco Golf. It was more competitive in the final last year because there was that 6-4 opening set and there was some great exchanges early on. But I do I do wonder, Kim, this was really billed as the, the, the ticket of the quarterfinals. But I mean, she's, she's not ever beaten Iga and it's always been pretty straightforward. So I guess my question would be, um, was this... Uh, ever going to deliver against the hype because it literally went as you'd expect maybe a couple more games for Coco than you would have thought um, but was this the the match of the quarterfinals you mean Shriontek against Coco Goff being the match of the quarterfinals well, and before um, it took place people really were excited for this one and building it up yeah. Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought it, this is probably going to be a fairly predictable match. So I wasn't same as I was more interested for like Sabalenka Svitolina. I think I agree. to see how Svitolina was going to get on against a player that's you know now you know top ranked and and arguably well you know has done more than Svitolina really by winning a slam. So um, I think this one, yeah, I, I didn't see Coco Goff really having the um, the the tools to actually get the win here. Um, you know, we saw how we said in the last podcast um, how consistent Coco Goff is against players, you know, outside of the top 50. But when she gets up against fellow top 10 players, you know, she's, she just loses her. Mm. She pretty much loses the match. You know, she's lost her last seven matches against top tenners and she just isn't able at the moment to, to get those big wins. Um, hence, I, I kind of thought this was the predictable outcome, uh, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I think she's, you obviously had a good tournament generally. She's um, played herself into some better form than what we'd seen over the clay court season. So I think there's positives to take from this, but she needs to really look at what she can do to elevate herself to become a, you know, a contender for the tournament rather than someone who's going to sort of meekly go out to the top seed um, because no one really wants to be in that sort of situation, yeah. do they? Yeah, she wants to be in the mix. And I think that she's, made some strides this tournament she's been taking the ball a lot earlier and she's been hitting her forehand much much better than she has recently so I think there are lots of positives um as you say it's that top 10 record that's the problem you really do need to be in the top 10 beating top 10 players to be in the mix and to give yourself shots at tournaments and this was a tough draw because obviously it was a final last year but um I do think that if she can get a decent draw um at Wimbledon and a good grass court season, I do think she's on a very positive upward trajectory coming out of this quarterfinal. I mean, who do you think it, we're going to see in our final uh, out of that we've got, you know, Shvontek, Hadadmaya, Mukova, Sabalenka. Are we going to see the top two seeds there, do you think? It'd be tough to bet against it. I really do think mm. that. I think watching how Sabalenka overpowered Svitolina, um, even Mukova being able to handle the pace, it's very hard to mix up the pace of such a hard ball. And Hadadmaya... Even on her best day, Iga has a much higher A game level. So I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna go with you. I think your prediction was also in a Sviontek Sabalenka final. So it looks like Kim, your predictions once again are pulling through. Oh, 
maybe so. I mean, I think actually, given the the women's game over the last few years, having a final between the top two seeds is probably a very rare occasion on the women's yes. tour. So it would actually be quite nice, I think, um, just just for that alone. Um, looking at the order of play tomorrow, we, you know, going into Thursday, uh, we have got Mukova Sabalenka up first, I think, followed then by Shontek Hadadmaya. Um I'm loving the women's legends that we've got on the schedule tomorrow. We've got Kim Kleister playing doubles with Caroline Wozniacki. You can wear your Denmark shirt for that I'm, one, Chris. I, I've been streaming the legends, Kim. I was watching this morning Hatchikova playing with uh, Natalie Deshi, who's my grandfather's favourite tennis player. And so it was my favourite <laughs> and my grandfather's favourite playing today. And um, that was great fun. Perfect. So I say put Kleister and Wozniacki, Panetta, Schiavone, put them as the night session. Tonight was the final night session, but add another one we'd love to see them playing tennis in prime time yeah they're up against Panetta and Schiavone the the Italians you know both both Grand Slam champions Schiavone who's getting that one Kim if we had to make a prediction oh I'll go for the Italians I'll go for the Italians as well hardcore hard you know hardcore clay quarters there probably played together before Um, yeah, um, the, we've got the mixed doubles final as well. We've got Kato, of, of you know, who was defaulted from her women's doubles with Tim Puetz up against uh, Bianca Andreescu and Michael Venus. Two so, great stories Andre- there. Yeah, Andreescu maybe getting another slam. Who would have thought it was doubles. not on my bingo card, Kim, that the next slam that Bianca Andreescu might win after the 2019 US Open, the 2023 French Open mixed doubles. <laughs> no. Well, that's the joy of mixed doubles. It always throws up some interesting, like, scratch pairings and, you know, random rogue results. That's why we love it. And um, talking of maybe, you know, results of, of a competition, we do have a collector set update as well, which is very exciting. Um, Tom Bryant was out in the lead because he had two correct answers. But given the latest batch of results, we have got an update. Um, and we've got we've got a bit of a tie uh, which is exciting, haven't we, Chris? We have indeed. We have got a tie. It seemed like Tom had this in the bag, but after a very late surge from Liz Curran, who managed to take the last two points of the day with quarterfinal predictions for both Holger Rune and Coco Golf, that's led to a two-way tie on three points. So it's still not quite the six points we're looking for in terms of collectively, it's a six points. Um, from both of them so we will be having a tie break so we'll be in touch with both of you to answer a tie break question and then we will reveal the winner once we have the final taking place so Liz and Tom look out in your DMs because we will be asking for another prediction from you Um, most commonly we go for uh, games lost by losing finalists so we will give you plenty of time to come up with something, but we will also clarify the question. Yes, yeah, get your thinking caps on. Um, thank you to everyone who has taken part. Liz and Tom, well done, you've made it this far. We didn't, did we, Kim? Um, I have, we didn't, our no, update, you definitely We got, got the better Norrie of round three, nothing else. All of us got a Holger wrong. Semi-final, final oh. and a win. So the slam spoons of shame, we might have to go to a vote on that because I think we all deserve them. Yeah, um, yes, I think slam spoons of shame. Um, Dish them out to everyone. Yeah, we- Serve them out to everyone. <laughs> um, as long as I can eat something nice with my spoon, or I'm thinking, you know, chocolate pudding or something. Lo- lovely. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, listeners will be uh, will, well, we'll be revealing the results of collector set uh, on our finals 
pod. But we will very excitedly obviously be back after the semi-finals once we know our finalists to chat through all the main talking points from the semi-finals. Um, Chris, it's been a delight to, to chat through the quarters with you this evening. I'm still buzzing after my quiz night victory. And uh, it's been, so, you know, Kim. Thank and Otto Lenghi signed um, <laughs> cookbook. I mean, what a, what a wonderful Wednesday. I know. I'm, I can't wait to make, you know, exciting vegetables. Well, you can use um, your spoon of, slain, uh, spoon of shame for that one, can't you? As a stirring spoon. That is very cheap. Maybe I could do some kind of um, French-inspired recipe for the weekend with my spoon of shame. Um, Tune, I'll, I'll stay stay the, tuned. The, <laughs> <laughs> I'll share the, pro- the uh, products the of that. The recipe involves our, a slam spoon of shame. <laughs> Um, but listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode here at the Tennis Weekly Podcast. Do you remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all of the action still to come from the French Open. We are, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then do make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and now TikTok. And that's all at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email the show at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we'll be back on Friday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our semi-final French Open catch-up. So I hope you can join us for that one. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from myself. So we will see you again very soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.